grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, my brothers, my sisters in Christ. What's your go-to date idea? A restaurant, probably, right? Or coffee. Or even if you go to the movies, what are you going to get? Popcorn, candy, soda, whatever. If you have a couple of friends coming over just to watch a show or watch a, a, a sporting event, what are they expecting? That you're going to have something for them to eat. Maybe not a meal, maybe not like a full-on pizza, but at least like a bag of chips or something. So much of our social lives involve food. It's important because we, we start to associate food with friendship, food with connection, food with communion, with fellowship, from the fancy hors d'oeuvres at a soiree to a bag of Doritos for your kids while they're playing video games. Food just seems to make everything better. So much of our relationships are enhanced with the presence of food. It's about more than just shoving your face, right? It's about more than getting nutrition into your bodies. There's something special that happens when you sit down for a meal with someone else. And I don't think this was lost on the disciples as they followed their Savior Jesus into the upper room that first Maundy Thursday. They knew it was the Passover, They knew it was a festival to be celebrated with a certain type of food. Lamb, bread, flat bread made without yeast, bitter herbs, and some wine. This was the traditional Passover feast. And I'm sure they looked forward to it. In fact, they seem so giddy in our gospel lesson. They say, Lord, Master, where are we going to celebrate the Passover? When are we going to start making preparations to to celebrate the Passover? So there they are reclining at the table, because in that day you didn't sit down at the table, you kind of leaned on your elbow around the table with Jesus, eating the Passover. And I don't think this whole connectedness idea behind food was lost on the disciples. I think they were having a good time. They were enjoying spending this precious moment with their teacher, their rabbi, Jesus, until, until those words leave his lips And they realize what's really going on. And they realize that this meal that they've been having is not just a meal. The moment everything turns for them is as soon as Jesus takes that bread and hands it to them and says, take this, eat it. What is it? It's my body. Then Jesus takes a cup of wine, gives it to them, and says, take this, drink it. This is my blood. What? If anyone other than Jesus were saying this, we would think it disgusting. This is a madman talking, but Jesus is the one talking. So we know he's doing something here. That night... Jesus gave his disciples and the Christian church for ages to come a gift that we call the Lord's Supper or communion, the sacrament we call it. And when he first gave it to his disciples, I have no doubt that they heard his words and they reacted with shock 
with awe, with amazement. This is my body, this is my blood given for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Fast forward just 15 years. A Christian church has started in a city called Corinth, and they've gone through their meetings, they, they join together regularly for worship, and they celebrate that night that Jesus gave them this sacrament in their worship, the, the way we do. They repeat his words, this is my body, this is my blood. They form a line or they just hand it out, however they did it in that day. But in just 15 years, in such a short amount of time, the shock, the awe, the reverence, the amazement, that the disciples had, had gone away. Already, just 15 years after that first Maundy Thursday, the Corinthians were treating communion, the Lord's Supper, just as a tradition that we have that we just kind of do and nobody really knows why. It's just a part of worship that you kind of go through the motions in a ho-hum sort of way. And what was worse was some of the Corinthians thought of that phrase, for the forgiveness of sins, as a blank check, as a punch card, as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Because what some of the Corinthians were doing was they were coming to worship, they were taking the Lord's Supper, and then they were going back into their lives doing the exact same sins they had always done with no intention of changing. In short, The Corinthians already forgot what is happening in the sacrament. In in just a, a short amount of time, the Corinthians already were bored with God's grace and used it as a license instead of appreciating it for what it is. The question for us today, on this Maundy Thursday, 2,000 years later, is as removed as we are from the Corinthians, don't we find the same temptation? Don't we find ourselves tempted in the same way to treat some of the actions, some of the things we do at church as just traditions that we don't know why we do, we just always have done it? Is it possible that we would not react to the Lord's Supper or to God's grace the way that the disciples did with amazement and shock and awe, but more like the Corinthians with boredom, with irreverence, with, okay, what's next? What's even worse? Would we fall into the same temptation to expect God's grace and forgiveness and then use it as a license, as a blank check, as a get-out-of-jail-free card, Would we, like the Corinthians, come up to church, take the sacrament, get back into our cars, and then go back to hating the same people we hated before the service, holding grudges against the same people we we held grudges against before the service, gossiping about, making jokes at the expense of despising the very people God tells us to love? Would we go back to withholding forgiveness when we have been forgiven? I think we would. I think the same temptations befall us as did the Corinthians, don't they? To to treat God's grace as cheap, to treat it as a license. 
But what's really sad, what's the most tragic about this perspective, about this attitude problem, is it's not seeing sin for what sin is. Sin is not a pet that you keep around but put in its place. Sin is not a habit to be managed. It's not no big deal if you have a hateful thought or a lustful thought as long as it doesn't get out of control. No, sin is dangerous. Sin is deadly. It will kill you. Sin does not need to be dealt with. It does not need to be managed. It needs to be erased. It needs to be destroyed or it will get the best of you. The tragic part of the Corinthians' attitude was their cavalier attitude about sin and how that affected the way they saw the Lord's Supper. So Paul's solution? Remind them and remind us of exactly what it is that we receive when we come to the table. Exactly what it is that Jesus was giving his disciples when he passed out that bread and that cup of wine. What did Jesus say? This is my body. This is my blood. And Paul reiterates that same notion when he says, Is not this cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not this loaf which we break a participation in the body of Christ? It's not just wine. It's not just bread. It's not just a meal. It's Jesus himself given for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Now what I'm going to do next is I'm going to say a phrase. And you just track your emotional reaction. Be mindful of the first thought that comes to your head when I say it. You ready? Participation trophy. How many of you reacted positively when I said participation trophy? Oh, yes, that's a good idea. Those are good things, participation trophies. No, some of you are even shaking your heads right now because a lot of people have the opinion that competition died as soon as we introduced the participation trophy. You shouldn't get a trophy just for showing up, people say. You should learn to strive, to want to achieve. You shouldn't get a trophy if you don't get first or second or even third place. You should want to work hard for those that do your best for them. And I'm not going to debate whether or not that's correct, but while it may be true for sports, you realize that's the exact opposite of how Jesus works. In the competition, let's say, of obeying God, where do we come? Dead last. We do nothing by ourselves to earn a single thing in God's sight. Where does Jesus come? He's in first. He did a perfect job. From cradle to cross, Jesus did nothing but obey his Father in heaven and do his will, even unto death. Even death on a cross, Jesus willingly submitted to it and didn't complain. He didn't fight back. He did everything his Father wanted. And now, because he died, because he rose, and because he gave you faith in him, he gives you the trophy. 
He hangs the first place medal over your neck as if you did it. You are awarded this evening, brothers and sisters, just for showing up. There is nothing you have to do. You are perfect in God's sight. You are forgiven of all of your sins, of all your selfishness, of all your misguided priorities. Jesus washes them clean in his blood from the cross. He invites you to sit at the table with God himself and commune with God. And if that weren't enough, if it weren't enough to know that God loves you and that you are good with him and that you have a spot in heaven bought and paid for for you, Jesus goes one step further and gives us a way to stay connected to him. He gives us a way to grow in that perfect relationship we have with God, a way to grow in our faith, a way to be washed again and again, and that's through his supper. Because Jesus invites us to the table to partake of not just bread and wine, but of his own body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins and for the strengthening of our faith. This is not just a meal. It is a meal that unites that unites you with Jesus and draws you closer to him. But that's not all. Isn't it sad when you have to eat alone? Maybe at work this just kind of happens. Maybe you don't always have time to take a lunch break, so you have to eat at your desk, and while you know it's not ideal, it's probably not your favorite thing to do, you just got to get food into you, right? Right? Because you need to function. You need to go on with your day. You need nutrition. You need to survive. But the moment that a meal becomes not just about survival, but about fellowship, is the second someone else sits down to eat with you. Then you're having a meal with somebody. You see, Jesus gives you his body and his blood in the Lord's Supper for your blessing of your relationship with him But that's not all that's going on. We call it communion because you're communing with Christ, but you're communing with everyone else that you're participating with. That's why Paul calls it, that's why Paul says that we who are many partake of the one loaf. He's calling back to mind that imagery of Jesus taking that bread, that loaf of flatbread, and giving it to his disciples. The image was not lost on the disciples. We are one. We are united. And even though COVID has changed the way that we do communion these days and we don't necessarily line up at the rails like we used to, the image is still the same. And even though we don't take a loaf of bread and break it and share it that way, but we have individual pieces, the meaning is still the same. We are one. We are united. United in faith. United in truth united in fellowship, united in purpose. This, brothers and sisters, is why we don't ask guests and visitors, non-members of Trinity, to come up and take communion. Because in order to have unity, having unity for unity's own sake is meaningless. To have true unity You need to know what you're united about. And so we don't ask guests and visitors to declare their unity with us if they don't know what we teach, 
If they don't know what we believe, how can we ask them to put their signature on our confession of faith if they don't even know what that is? And so we have the Bible class before we commune with people. And we would love nothing more than to commune with our guests and visitors. That's why we encourage them to. We want to feast on the grace of God in his word before we feast on the grace of God in his sacrament. Because this is not just a meal. This is a meal with so much more going on. We call it communion for a reason. We are communing with Jesus through the sacrament and with each other. The message of the forgiveness of sins is for everyone, regardless of who you are. The Lord's Supper is a celebration reserved for family because this is a meal that unites. It's not just about food. It's about Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand?